A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and t shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So Nestor spoke, and the word he spoke was pleasing to all of them. And the heralds brought water at once and poured it over their hands, and the young men filled the mixing bowl with pure wine and passed it to all, pouring first a libation in goblets. Then when they had poured out wine and drunk as much as their hearts wished, they set out from the shelter of Atreus on Agamemnon, and the Geranian horseman Nestor gave them much instruction looking eagerly at each, and most of all at Odysseus, to try hard, so that they might win over the blameless Pelion, who is Achilles. So these two walked along the strand of the sea deep thundering with many prayers to the holder and shaker of the earth, that they might readily persuade the great heart of Iacides. Hello, and welcome to Ask Andrew, the podcast, a podcast of the Circe Institute Podcast Network, and I'm Andrew Kern. Today, I have the privilege of answering a question I personally really like. The question is, Andrew, why do you constantly say that the Iliad is the best handbook in the world for rhetoric? Now, what they leave off from the question very politely is, even though you guys have a program for teaching rhetoric, and even though the word rhetoric was probably coined by Plato much later, then why is the Iliad the best handbook for rhetoric? Haha. <laughs> Need I say thank you for asking? It is true. The term is coined by Plato, as far as we know. It basically simply means to speak. To speak. Or the art of speaking, maybe. There's debate early on as to whether or not rhetoric is an art or what Socrates calls a knack. Just something some people are good at and something other people are trained at. I'm going to make a really strong claim here. I'm going to claim that the later development of the theory of rhetoric 
is almost entirely the product of reflection on experience in the Homeric tradition. In other words, I'm going to argue not only that Homer is the teacher of the Greeks, which they all acknowledged, but that Homer is the the great theorist. Is that the right word, though? The great exemplar of how to do rhetoric. What on earth? Well, let's consider even, well, for maybe some of you are saying, well, what's the big deal? There, there are some practical, practical implications to this. One is that, again, I'm arguing that if you want to learn rhetoric or teach rhetoric, I don't think you're going to find a better source than Homer, the Iliad in particular. In a parallel sense, I, I argue that, that the Odyssey is the handbook on storytelling, on what they called poetics in the ancient world. But listen again to the, to the words of the passage I just read, which I didn't randomly choose it. I wanted to find something in book nine of the Iliad. So I didn't randomly choose it, but I'm more or less just open to it as I was preparing for the class, the class for this session. Thank you, class. And there it was. It was easy to find something, and it always is. Now, why book nine? Well, book nine is famous. In fact, in Martin Cawthron's um, uh, analysis of Aristotle's rhetoric, his, his guidebook to rhetoric, he turns to book nine of the Iliad as the example where you find the three um, modes of persuasion, as Aristotle later called them, modeled by three characters. You have, you have the logos, the, the, the rational mode of persuasion, the argument ex- itself, let me appeal to your mind, and that's presented by Odysseus. Then you have the ethos, the mode of persuasion that is entirely rooted in the character of the speaker, and that's presented by Aeus or Ajax as it's Latinized. And then you have the mode of pathos or the emotional appeal, and that's presented by Phoenix or Phoenix as it's Latinized. He's from Arizona. So there you go. In Homer, already in book nine, you have the three modes of persuasion exemplified. Now, my contention is Homer did that on purpose. That Homer never explained his theory because he was too good a teacher. He wanted the Greeks to discover his theory. Or maybe I should rephrase that. I don't know how self-conscious and categorical Homer was in, in all of this. I don't know if he had kind of worked out those terms himself. I don't know. It's questionable because as a general rule, if you're conscious of something, you're probably in the process of losing it or else it's brand new or in some way you're making a comparison. But we become most conscious, like the song says, um, don't it always seem to go that we don't know what we got till it's gone. Boy, did Adam and Eve learn that lesson. And we've been learning it ever since. But anyway... Let's come back to this text. And by the way, boy, could we go out? You could, do, you could open the Iliad to almost any spot and find instruction on rhetoric. But let me, let me show you what I found here. First of all, context. There's a council taking place. That's an important point. If, if you've heard us talk at Circe about rhetoric, you know that, that we believe that rhetoric is the art of decision-making in community. 
and that really the goal of rhetoric ultimately is to bring harmony to a community. It is the art of decision-making. Now, we know that from Aristotle, the his conception of rhetoric is the art of finding all the available means of persuasion. And I'm, I'm fine with that. I'm not going to go into it right now because I think I did on a different podcast, but I'll just say he says that in a context, in a metaphysical context, in an ethical context, in a political context. And if you set all those contexts aside, all of which are explained in other books by Aristotle, then you won't understand what he means by finding all the available means of persuasion, and you won't understand what its purpose is. But whether or not Aristotle saw it as the pursuit of harmony and community through sound decisions, that is what I believe it is. And I'm influenced by both the Bible and by Homer on coming to that conclusion. Okay, so the context is the Greeks who are at war with the the Trojans have division among themselves, and they have to resolve that division. They have to come to, um, they have to resolve the discord. Achilles has withdrawn from the battle and is sitting at his own ship. And we learn right after what I last read, they came beside the shelters and the ships of the Myrmidons. The Myrmidons are Achilles' people. And they found Achilles delighting his heart in a lyre, clear-sounding, splendid and carefully wrought with a bridge of silver upon it, which he won out of the spoils when he ruined Etion's city. With this, he was pleasuring his heart and singing of men's fame. Okay, so Achilles has withdrawn and is singing songs on a, on a lyre that he got by conquering the neighboring people through conflict. He's singing songs and having a minimal sort of harmony. Pleasuring the heart is giving the heart a form of harmony. That's what Achilles is doing when they reach him. Meanwhile, The Greeks had been back in their camp listening to Nestor give one of his long speeches, and people love to complain about Nestor. My argument is that he is one of the best speakers who's ever lived. When you're reading the Iliad, if you forget that he's an old man who they all have great affection for and who has experienced a great deal, and he tells good stories, you can think he's long-winded. I don't totally deny that, but I don't really believe that. But he's given the last speech, the last instruction in the council. And his, his advice was, send the message to Achilles through these three people. So he spoke, and the word he spoke, notice, the word he spoke was pleasing to all of them. Huh, that's good speaking. Have you ever given a speech that was pleasing, or even said something at the dinner table that was pleasing to all of the audience? And then they have this wonderful ceremony very beautiful. Homer loves to emphasize the beautiful details of life. Um, they drank some wine, they poured out their libations, and they set out from the shelter of Atreus, son Agamemnon. And the Geranian horseman Nestor gave them much instruction, apparently while they're walking along the beach. Nestor is, is particularly anxious to talk to Odysseus. It says, looking eagerly at each, and most of all at Odysseus, to try hard. Is that not a, a very common thing to, to uh, involve in, in persuasion? First of all, notice, looking eagerly at each. If you're not looking eagerly at your audience, they're not likely to hear you. And most of all at Odysseus. He's decided that Odysseus is the most important one. Odysseus is the, the great speaker. 
right? And he's mighty in word and deed. And he is appealing to them to try hard so that what? So that they might win over blameless Paleon. What their goal is to win over Achilles. To win him over. Not to overcome him, but to win him over. To get him to come to their point of view. Because he is the source, or he is, no, I'm not, I won't say the source, but because he is the locus of the discord. If they can get him to rejoin, the discord is removed. So the question again is, why do you argue that the Iliad is a handbook for rhetoric? And basically, the answer is because passages like I just glanced at permeate the Iliad. Everywhere you look in the Iliad, there are two things going on. Two, two, there are two discords, you might say, going on. Let's call it a military discord and a verbal discord or a social discord. Two basic discords, and they're dancing around each other. And what Homer's exploring is what are the means to resolving these discords? If you are in a military discord, then the means are military might. If you're in a social discord, a verbal discord, an intellectual in the sense of a discord in the mind, then the means is words. The means are words. And throughout the Iliad, people are measured, continually measured, by their ability to use words and their ability to use arms, their ability to fight and the ability to speak. You have to have both of those. What's fascinating in the Iliad is how much time and in how refined and complex and sophisticated a way Greek speakers try to persuade each other. Over and over again, they're in assemblies. Even on the beach, they're stopping and thinking and talking. Even the gods, over and over again, there's councils of the gods making decisions. And then among the gods... Zeus tends to put down the last word, and yet, he allows for a lot of discussion. And I developed a growing sense years ago, while I was teaching the Iliad, that if I want to become a really great speaker, then I should spend more time concentrating on focusing on reading, paying attention to how people speak and persuade in the Iliad. Here's an interesting point. According to Marshall McLuhan in his book, The Trivium, when the sophists, who were the 5th century teachers of wisdom in, in Greece, Athens, and the region around, when they defined virtue, apparently virtue to them was drawn from Homer. The concept of virtue was drawn from Homer. But simplified. And, and the way they regard, you were, you were a virtuous person if, get this, you could overcome your enemy. Right? Because, because they drew the analogy from the military exploits of the, the great Aristeas, the great warriors in their moments of glory, that if you're powerful, you overcome the enemy. And they applied that also to the verbal. 
Your goal is to overcome the enemy. And that's what virtue was to the sophist, is the ability to overcome somebody who resists or opposes you. Now, interestingly, if you have virtue, you are more able to overcome those who oppose you. If you are a better speaker, if you have an, the intellectual virtues of understanding and speaking and, and figuring things out, then you will do a better job of those things than a person who doesn't. Then that person might well turn to his military virtues and clobber you. I find it fascinating that the sophists saw virtue as the ability to overcome the enemy, to overcome resistance, primarily for them in word. For Socrates, on the other hand, virtue was the ability to discover the truth, or you might say to overcome the darkness, to overcome error, to overcome ignorance. And that's why he favored dialectic over rhetoric. And I think he also got that from Homer, but I won't go into that right now. Here's something fascinating. I've probably been arguing for 10 years, maybe, that the Iliad is the best handbook on rhetoric. And that, in fact, I've I, I felt that Homer is the, the source of Greek theories of rhetoric. No doubt as a collector of much that preceded him. I don't mean to pretend that he was, you know, dropped out of the heavens or even off Olympus. But that he's, he, he, he's the source, practically speaking, of, of Greek rhetoric. Listen to this. There's a book that came out recently, and I'm really excited about this. It's published in 2014 by Johns Hopkins University Press, written by a, a lady named Rachel, I, I think her name is pronounced Aaron, A-H-E-R-N, Knudsen. So we have a Hebrew, I think a French, and a German name. <laughs> Interesting. Rachel Aaron Knudsen. And Rachel Knudsen, if you ever hear me say this, please forgive me for getting it all wrong. But in 2014, she wrote a book called Homeric Speech and the Origins of Rhetoric. And in this book, she develops in considerable scholarly detail, far more than I've ever been able to even consider, the whole notion of Homer as the source of the origin of rhetoric. Two parts to it, rhetoric and Homer, part one. Part two, the genealogy of rhetoric from Homer to Aristotle. She even goes into how the Greek conception of rhetoric is different from the Chinese, the Indian, the Babylonian. Fascinating sections. The reason I mention this is because I'm so excited about the point that I'm trying to get across and that I found somebody who can make it way better than I can, that I want to give you a copy of this book. So, I talked to David about how to do this, and he said, I should tell you, go to Instagram, search for Circe, or if you already follow Circe, go to Circe, and there will be instructions on the Instagram page about how you can enter, what do you call it, a drawing? You can sign up to receive a free copy of Homeric Speech and the Origins of Rhetoric by Rachel Knudsen. Some of you will be pleased to know that Rachel was homeschooled by her mother Margaret and also taught by the immortal Fritz Heinrichs down at Escondido Tutorial Service and then went, I believe it was to Stanford University. I should have confirmed that. But what you're seeing here in my view is also a big step in the renewal of classical education and homeschooling. 
So this is a this is a very meaningful book to me. Um, I hope I'm representing you accurately, Rachel. If again, if you ever should have the misfortune of hearing me talk about you, but if you want a copy of this book, Homeric Speech and the Origins of Rhetoric, I, I don't think it's her doctoral thesis, but it might be. It is. It's a very scholarly book, and it's but but very well written, very clear, very well argued, in my opinion. Plus, I basically agree with her premise and conclusion. Go to Instagram, search for Cersei, and you'll see instructions there on how you can be entered into a, a drawing or whatever it is to get a, a free copy. The other thing I want to say is, my goodness, read the Iliad with an eye to rhetoric. And if you want your kids to become really good rhetoricians, have them copy, even give speeches by characters in the Iliad, and then discuss with them what made that good why did it succeed why didn't it succeed boy you're going to you're going to confront honesty now because i got so excited about this question and that book i don't have time to address a short question in this episode of ask andrew so to be merciful to you i will cut short now and address another question in my next episode of the ask andrew podcast but first let me say thank you so much for listening and do do take a look. Do try to do try to get your hands on this book. In short, I believe that the Iliad is the handbook of rhetoric because it is full of really good, really mediocre and really bad speeches. It puts them up against each other so that you can you can see why some work and some don't. You can look at, you can see the three modes of persuasion in the argument itself, the character of the speaker, and the emotion presented. And you can follow that through every speech, and it's really, really well written. As you seek harmony in your household, and as you seek harmony in your communities, as you also have to resolve discord, let me pray that the Lord will remember you in his kingdom of peace now and ever, and to the ages of ages. Amen. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 